Welcome to the Real Talk Real Estate Podcast with hosts Aleem Savani and Brandon Daniel. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Real Talk Real Estate with myself, Brandon Daniel, and my co-host, Aleem Savani. Today we are welcomed by Aubrey. Mortgages by Aubrey, thank you again for joining us. You've been on the show once before and so happy to have you on again. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us for our first show in 2024. Um, just so the viewers know, he is in Dominican right now, enjoying the nice weather. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's, he's doing this virtually, so we appreciate you taking that time out of the sun to join us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yeah. It's been a crazy year. You've probably seen a lot of ups and downs. You've probably seen a lot of buyers trying to get the mortgages, pre-construction people trying to close. Um, maybe you give us a quick summary of like what, what have you seen in the last year? It's definitely been um, a crazy market in comparison to last year. Um, transactions in general, sales volumes are down uh, from last year. Um, purchases, a lot of my purchase clients have taken a back seat and not been as active this year. We're seeing a lot more refinancing. And, and the point that you touched on, a lot of pre-construction closings, there's been a lot of people struggling to close based on where appraisal values come in at and interest rates. So it's been a lot of tough deals, um, but it's definitely uh, an exciting market to be in for sure. Yeah. Um, just quickly touch on your pre-construction. Um, so what happens when the appraisal is lower um, than, the actual, than the actual value? And then you have to close the bank is saying, okay, 50 K you got to give me 50 K now. Like as a yeah. mortgage agent, like what can you do to close that gap? So the bank doesn't care what you purchased it for as much as they care as what the current value is. Um, so let's say you agree to, to pay the builder 600000 but the current value is only five hundred or five fifty. The bank is only going to lend on the appraised value. So in a case like that, you would have to come up with the difference in cash. In terms of strategies around that, well, sometimes... Different appraisal companies have different values, but generally speaking, they're within the same range. Um, so we always try to get the appraisal done as early as possible just to account for market fluctuations. But I've seen cases where the appraisal did com come in a little less and buyers would have to arrange the money, whether that's from friends or family or refinancing another property, take out some equity to close. Um, so, yeah, you, you do have to come up with the extra money if the appraisal comes in less. Now, if the person can't come on with come up with that extra funds, um, fifty thousand dollars as an example, what happens in that case? Like, um, if the buyer can't close on it, um, yeah, what's then, the ramifications? Yeah, for sure. Um, that would technically be a breach of contract if they can't close, right? So, uh, typically, that that's the lawyer's area of expertise. But from situations that I've seen. They're in breach of contract and they can be sued uh, for, for not completing their purchase. Yeah. What yeah. kind of penalty is someone looking at for breaking their mortgage early? Like, how does that work? For breaking the mortgage early? Um, yeah. Depends on, on their agreement. Generally speaking, if they get a fixed rate, the penalty can be higher. Um, minimum is three months interest. That's the minimum penalty. And there's something called the interest rate differential. Where um, if, for example, if you get a five-year fix today at 5% and 
And then if rates drop to 3% and you're one year into the mortgage, if you want to sell and break your mortgage then, you can be hit with a very big penalty, which is the difference between the rate that you got and the current rate at your current balance. Whereas variable, it's always going to be uh, three months interest if you break your mortgage. There are some lenders like HSBC that uh, on a five-year variable after three years, it's completely open. So different lenders have different ways of calculating penalties, but uh, generally speaking, um, buyers or clients should try to avoid breaking their mortgage early if possible. Um, I have some buyers, uh, well, potential buyers that have been looking for a little bit, but they're sitting on the sidelines, you know, hoping that rates go down, you know, maybe thinking that home prices are also going to go down next year. What's some advice you could possibly give? Well, that would be an ideal scenario. Rates go down, prices go down, but it usually doesn't happen mm -hmm. that way because when rates go down, the buyers who are sitting on the sidelines, they're all going to come into the market. So there's going to be increased buyer activity, which is going to be more competition, which theoretically would lead to higher prices based on more demand. So, um, you have to decide what's more important to you, a lower interest rate or a lower overall price. Um, so, yeah, if it were what I recommend to my clients is if you're financially capable of buying now, I personally wouldn't wait for uh, rates to drop because then you're likely going to have increased competition, higher prices, um, and it's just going to be overall harder to purchase that same home. Yeah, because then you're going to need big, uh, well, more substantial down payment, too, right? More down yeah. payment, more income to qualify overall. Just, yeah. Yeah. Could you do a, so, you know, maybe a little breakdown of up top of your head. Like if you're going to buy an $8,000 house, um, what is like the down payment? Did you just say $8,000 house? <laughs> Where are we living that there's an $8,000 house? 800000 $800,000. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, so $800,000 house, like what would it break down for that for a mortgage itself? Gotcha. Uh, and like, how would that work with income? Like based on your income, like what do you need for a down payment? What, what, like, what's your fixed cost? How does that work? Sure. So as long as you're buying as your primary residence, the minimum down payment on an $800,000 property would be $55,000 plus closing costs. You take 5% of the first 500,000 and 10% on the remainder up to a million dollars. So that's that. In terms of income qualifying, um, it, it depends on the, the current market rates. So I don't wanna give a figure off the top of my head because it could change by the time this is uh, released. No, all good, all good. I was just saying that like there's general rules of thumb, like four times your income is what you're gonna qualify for a mortgage five times, but that will change dramatically depending on where rates are. So I, I don't want to give like a rule of thumb or an exact figure off the top because it could change. Um, yeah. Best to run the scenario with your, your mortgage agent or broker um, to know what income you need to exactly qualify for what particular mortgage. But on average, it's, it's times four, right? As of right now, like between three and a half and four, where yeah. rates are for an insured mortgage. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So back to that. So the minimum down payment, if the house is, let's say, 500000 or less, you're looking at 5%. Exactly. As and long as any, you're primary residence, yeah. Okay, and then anything between or five hundred to let's say nine ninety nine or under a million is five percent of the first five hundred thousand, and then and then ten percent on the additional amount. 
So on an $800,000 property, it would be 5% on the first 500, which is 25,000, and then 10% on that extra 300,000, which is an additional 30, which brings it to a total of 55,000 in total. Okay, and then over a million, it's 20%. Over a million, it's 20% down on the total, exactly. Your lender, what would they require from you? Good question. I'll start with self-employed. So traditional A lenders, big banks, are going to look at two years of your tax returns and take an average of whatever your salary or dividends are that you pay yourself as a self-employed individual or whatever net income you're claiming. Whereas there are other alternative lenders that will look at 12 months of business bank statements, which is typically more favorable to a self-employed borrower because it shows their, their actual revenues over 12 months. Those programs require 20% down. So depending on how much down payment you have, depending on what your taxes look like as a self-employed borrower, you'll fall into one of either two categories for what mortgage is best for you. Most self-employed applicants generally do the, the latter, which is the alternative program, 12 months of business bank statements, 20% down. Rates are a little bit higher um, because it's on the B side. So it's a trade-off. You're, you're paying a little bit of a higher rate, but you're getting a larger mortgage. Now, on the credit side, uh, same thing. A lenders, their minimum credit score typically is 680 or higher. They do do some exceptions all the way to 600, depending on the overall strength of the borrower and the applicant. Um, but if you have less than that, if your credit score is lower, you have two options. You can either start with a B lender, get a one-year term, improve your credit, then switch to the A side, or you can improve your credit right now and wait, and then go to the A side. Uh, it depends on how bad your credit score is. Sometimes I see someone who has a low credit score and it's a quick fix. They just have to pay down their credit cards and then they see their credit score go up dramatically in a couple months. Whereas other times it's more of a long-term thing and it's, it's worth it to consider going on the B side and then switching to the A side when they're ready. So how long do you normally stay on the B side for? Is it a year or two or is it then you try for the A side again, or how does that work? Typically, we try for a year. Um, most credit issues, aside from a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy, can be fixed within one year. And then when that one-year term comes up for renewal, we try to requalify on the A side if their income is still there. Um, other clients are more long-term on the B side, which is not a big deal. Um, you know, rates fluctuate up and down, and there's typically a spread of like, at, at most 1% between the A side and the B side. So it's not a huge difference, um, but we always try to get the client on the A side when they're ready. With you yeah. saying that rates fluctuate up and down, would you recommend right now the clients get into uh, a variable or a fixed? There's been a lot of like baggage and heat on the variable side because a lot of people who got variable in the past couple of years you know, their rates went up and their payment went up. So they're scared. But where we are now, where rates have hit their climax on the variable side and Bank of Canada has hinted that as long as inflation is maintained, they're going to consider lowering rates. Variable rates are becoming more attractive because we're anticipating rate cuts in the next year or so. And if you go variable, you're going to benefit from those rate cuts and lower payments. So I don't recommend either way. I usually lay it out for my clients to make a decision, but I can tell you a lot of my clients have been picking variable over fixed in the past few months. 
Oh, really? Not even. I know people are doing three-year fix, but they're still going towards variable. Cause, yeah, yeah, as long as they that's they, surprising. Yeah, yeah, they have the risk tolerance and they they you know they understand the possibility of it going up or going down. They're okay with that. Um, the numbers are are favorable for the variable side. And so on the talking about side, it, yeah, go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say on the fixed side, um, not too many clients are going for a five-year fix, just based on where rates are at. Yeah. A lot of them are going for a short-term one, two, or three, and then choosing to renew at market rates when they come up. So talking about interest rates in 2024, no crystal ball, but from what you know, what, what, what can you kind of predict will happen? You think it's going to stay the same? It's going to go up, go down? I don't think we're going to see the same fluctuations that we've seen in the past couple of years. What I mean by that is I don't think we're going to see like a four, three or 4% change in interest rates. I think rates are going to come down, but not by a, a huge amount. For example, on the fixed side, we've seen rates come down between like a half and 1% over the past few months. And I think the general consensus is that it's more likely that rates are going to come down over this next year but not by a, a life-changing amount. Enough like of a change where it's going to change like buyer confidence and, and the market, but uh, not like where we saw rates go from 2 to 6% in a year. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. I'm thinking like, I don't know about you, Brendan, but I'm thinking it'll be like 1% throughout 2024. By the end of 2024, it'll drop. I think that's, uh, that's reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And I think there will be a spike in, in in the spring market a little bit. I think it will drop a bit. I think the only way the Bank of Canada is going to do like a significant rate drop, when I say significant, like 2% or more, is if we're in a significant recession. Obviously, yeah. people are hurting right now with finances, but it's not like anywhere near like 2008 USA type crisis. No, no, no. I don't think it's close to that. You no. Know? Yeah, I think they'll do it by 0.25 or something like that in April. And that will give enough confidence to buyers to, like, put I their foot up front. Yeah, I think going. the Bank of Canada is treading lightly because they know that supply and demand is so tight that if they drop it too much, it's going to be a frenzy. And we're going to see 2021 yeah. all over again. And they don't yeah. want that to happen. So I think no. you're right that if they do, when they do lower it, it's going to be incremental and slow. It's not going to be like too much at once. Yeah, it won't be because like right now it's more of a buyer's market um, compared to sellers. Houses are sitting on the market for average 22, 25 days. So I think January will go up a little bit more. February will go up more. I think when April comes, that's when they're going to see like no houses moving. I think inflation will be a little bit better then. I think they'll test it at 0.25 and then see what happens. I agree. I agree. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, I agree. Go ahead. Aubrey, I know you do um, a lot of seminars with um, agents over social media, over Zoom, um, for first-time homebuyers. So, like, what is some advice you'd give first-time homebuyers right now at what the market is? Like, is it smart to get into the market, like, from your side? Yeah. I think um, a lot of first-time homebuyers are hesitant to go into the market. And I think a, a big reason for that is just like a lack of knowledge about the process. And when you don't know about something, you're maybe more scared or hesitant to, to go for it, right? So that's a big reason why I do first time homebuyer webinars. 
just to give that education so buyers can get educated on the process and they realize it's not as scary as they might think. Um, in terms of whether or not it's a good time to buy, um, I think if buyers are financially capable of buying now, then they should buy now if they want. I don't think there's too much merit in waiting for rates to drop or prices to drop because it's very difficult to time the market. If you look at prices and, and rates in general over the past few years, overall, now is, is a good time to buy. Um, and we have a very big supply and demand issue in Canada, and we have huge immigration levels. So generally speaking, it's a safe investment buying real estate over the long term. And um, the entry point of when you buy, it, it's definitely important. And now is a, a good entry point, I would say. Yeah, I feel like I've got some buyers who are saying they're going to wait, they're going to hold off closer to retirement or, you know, I yeah, guess once trying. they find that perfect home, but it's, no, I but feel I, like they're always going to be searching for that. Yeah, no, I agree in the sense of what you're saying, Aubrey, like, you know, right now, if you can afford it, it's a perfect time to buy. Even if you want to sell, it's not a bad time to sell. If you've bought your house 20 years ago, right, you get that, you make your money, you go buy something small to downsize. But yeah, I know you're dealing with retired, some retired people that you have marked your house for sale and yeah, yeah, they also want the biggest bang for the buck still. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think no matter what, no matter what advice we give or, or what education we give, the majority of the buyer's market are going to wait for rates to drop. That's just yep. natural emotions of, of people. They see rates are low. Oh, I, it's a lower payment. They're all going to start going. So, you know. Whether they do it now or a year from now, it will make a difference in, in the, the price that they buy. But in the long run, they're going to be okay. So the main thing is is to look at your finances first and make sure it's a good financial decision for you as opposed to focusing on what the market is saying. Focus on your own financial capacity and make a decision from there first. So you mentioned something about a home buyer's webinar that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so how would someone join that? I usually run them like every month or two. I just post on my social media. Um, I have it in my, in my link. Um, I'll probably do one, uh, you know, early this year, 2024. So I'll probably advertise it on my socials and they can just sign up by clicking the link. Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you your socials out too. So people know. I know you use a different agent for that. That's okay. <laughs> we can do one whenever you guys want. <laughs> our we, should, rates, we, should, we should do one. Yeah, yeah, Aubrey, we, yeah. definitely. Uh, so are rates different uh, depending on if it's going to be your primary residence or if it's going to be like an investment property? That's a really good question. I want to touch on that because when I'm dealing with clients and I'm presenting the rates that are available, a lot of clients say, but I saw online that it's it's this rate and it's that rate. When you see rates posted online, they're typically showing the lowest rate available for a primary property on an insured mortgage, which is a very specific type of mortgage. So to answer your question, yes, rates are different whether you do 20% down, whether you do 5% down, whether it's your primary residence, whether it's a rental property, there's premiums that the lender adds based on the type of property you're buying. Um, so rentals are generally priced a little bit higher 20% down conventional loans are priced a little bit higher, whereas the um, cheapest, lowest priced uh, interest rate is going to be when you do less than 20% down on a purchase of your primary home. Okay, and okay. you talked about insured rates, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, so what's the difference between insured and uninsured? Like, how does that work? So when I say insured, I'm talking about default insurance. A lot of people call it CMHC insurance. Um, it protects the lender in the event that the borrower defaults on their mortgage. Um, and because the lender has that extra layer of protection on an insured mortgage, they're able to reduce the rate. But the buyer is the one that has to pay that insurance. Um, on a conventional or an uninsured mortgage, the lender still has insurance, but the lender pays for their own insurance. And then they pass that cost onto the buyer with a little bit of a higher rate. So generally speaking, um, insured mortgages are limited to a 25-year amortization. And uninsured mortgages can go up to 30, sometimes even 35 years in their amortization. Okay. And talking about amortization... Uh, that's a big <laughs> word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a tongue twister for sure. Um, what what are you seeing now? What have you been seeing in the last year or so? Even now, are they banks pushing past thirty years? Most banks, no. Most banks stick to thirty years. Um, there's a couple that go to thirty five. It's not yeah. a very common product because the rate is sometimes a little higher as well. But a lot of the uh, the banks that have offered what's called a static variable which is um, a variable rate where the payment is supposed to stay the same. Those amortizations have been increasing past 30, 35, 40 years, 50 years with CIBC or, or TD because the payment has to stay the same, but they increase the amortization to make sure the interest is still covered. Um, so, yeah. Are you seeing a lot of um, issues with the refinancing coming up? Like a lot of people have signed for 1.2, 2%. They've done a fixed now you know four or five five years is coming up like yeah are there like what what happens then because someone could afford something three years ago at two percent at six point five six point seven percent now that's times six right like yeah i've seen a lot of clients with their renewals coming up and a big shock when they get that renewal letter and I think the biggest thing they can do is shop around and speak with a broker to see what other options are out there Sometimes as brokers, we can even negotiate the rate with the same lender that they have and negotiate a lower rate on their behalf. That being said, there are going to be borrowers who have their renewals coming up and they simply cannot afford that jump in payment. And that's going to ultimately result in them selling their property if they can't afford it. Because there's no point in renewing at a rate that you know you can't afford. You're just going to default on your payments. So it's very unfortunate with a lot of um, existing homeowners. So it really depends uh, what their income is and whether or not they can afford it. But to get the best rate and to, um, how do I say this, to increase their chances of affording the payment, best thing is to shop around to see what lenders are offering. Are you seeing a lot of people being proactive now and a, a year in advance before their uh, mortgage is due for refinancing, they're starting to look at their options? I would say a year in advance, what I do is I reach out to all my existing clients six months in advance to look at what their options are. Um, but I generally see clients getting the most proactive and worried when it's like a few months away from their renewal and it's really setting in that, oh shit, I'm going to have this new higher payment coming. I got to do something about it. Let's listen to Aubrey and, and shop around, you know? Do any of your clients yell at you because of the interest rates? <laughs> uh, no one's yelled at me. Um, no, no, no one's really yelled at me, but um, I do have clients that are worried. 
And yeah. it, it's hard for me. Like I always try and give a solution to my client, but sometimes there is no solution and they have to sell, which is a hard thing to hear. Whereas other brokers might say, Oh, just, just stretch it out. You'll, you'll do, you'll be able to afford it. Just, just renew and see how it goes. You know, some people do that. Some people don't, but, um, the good thing is that the majority of the, the rate hikes that we've seen um, have finished and we're on the way down now. So I think generally speaking, that financial pressure is going to um, be relieved in the next year or so. Trying to think on how to word the situation. So let's say you have, um, I'm going to use us as an example, okay? Um, so client A and client B, um, you got, they, they want to buy a house together, investment property. Um, so how does that work with both of them being on a mortgage? Let's say one of them has higher credit score, uh, more income. And the other one is making what I'm going to shoot a number out 60 grand credit score of five eighty six hundred. How does that work? Do they both have to, depending on the, I don't know, percentage of the home that they're owning, like get qualified on themselves or do they kind of go in together? That's a good question. Um, generally speaking, whoever's earning the most money is considered the primary applicant and their credit score is weighted more heavily than the person who's earning less money. Um, that being said, most lenders still have a minimum credit score that you need to have. Even if you're only owning 1% of the property and you're not bringing much to the table in terms of a qualification perspective, and that minimum is usually like 600 credit score on the A side. There are some credit unions that are creative and they can take an average of the first borrower and the second borrower for their credit score and combine it together to average it out if someone's a little bit lower. Um, but to answer your question, we look at the, all the income on file from both applicants and we use that to qualify, but we generally use the primary applicant, the person who's earning more money, and we use their credit score to determine what rate they're going to get. Okay. That's a good answer. Thank you. That was a very long winded question I had and I no, didn't know no, how to really word it properly, it. but okay. yeah. No, 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 it's good. Um, just talking about titles, people on the mortgages. So if someone is going through a separation or a divorce and they are locked in at like a 2% interest rate and one person has to come off the title, do they remortgage that under the new interest rate or can they keep that same interest rate? Like they're, they're actually, yeah. Good question. Um, in order to remove someone from title, whether it's a separation, divorce, breaking up, whatever it is, the person who's remaining on the title has to qualify for that mortgage on their own. Yes. Right. And with most uh, spousal breakups, divorces, usually the person who's getting removed from title is being paid out a certain amount of money. They usually split the equity in some, in most cases. So most yeah. of the time they're doing a straight refinance and they have to get the current market rates that are available. So generally speaking, if they have a low rate right now and they're going through a divorce, they're going to do a refinance at current market rates and their rate and their payment is going to increase. Yeah. It's better off just to sell your house then. <laughs> <laughs> at, this, at these rates. Like, it's crazy. Do you deal do you deal with like a lot of retired people like Brendan was talking about earlier or people looking to downsize upsize? I do. I do. I have a lot of existing homeowners. Like it's funny. A lot of um, those types of clients that I get, their kids watch me on TikTok and then they refer yeah. me to their parents. 
but I have done quite a few people who are retiring and they're either doing a reverse mortgage or they're um, selling and downsizing to go to another property. And in those cases, a lot of those clients have built up equity and they have large down payments. And that can sort of help because a lot of retired people have limited incomes and it's harder for them to qualify. But in those cases, when they have a really large down payment, the number is 35%, then lenders are willing to lend them a little bit more because they know there's less risk because they have such a large down payment compared to their purchase price. All right. So Aubrey, I was thinking a lot of people are, you know, finding themselves in debt right now, you know, with visa payments and all of this, and those payments are extremely high, right? The interest rates like 19, 20%. So how can a homeowner take advantage of their home and consolidate that debt into that? Excellent question. And that's something we're seeing a lot more of, especially in 2023, as people have, you know, accumulated more debt. So if, for example, let's say someone owns a home, it's worth a million dollars, they've ran up their credit cards, their line of credit, maybe they have a car loan. And I've seen cases where someone has a hundred, a hundred twenty thousand dollars in what we call unsecured debt, debt that's not secured against their house. So a car, a credit card, anything like that. What we can do is we can refinance their current mortgage to pay off all those high interest unsecured debts and replace it with their lower interest rate mortgage. That way they get rid of all that high interest debt. Their monthly payments will generally drop down significantly. Their credit score will increase because they're paying off all their debts and their budget will be much more relieved because instead of paying four or $5,000 a month for everything and all their debts, we can reduce their payments depending on how much uh, credit card, line of credit and car loan debt that they may have. Awesome. I feel like there's a lot of people that don't know they can I think do that. I, I actually didn't know that until now. So that's some good information. No, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Uh, like that. So Aubrey, I had a client and he was trying to explain to me something called a blanket mortgage. Um, I got no clue what that was. I had to Google it. Maybe like just from my knowledge, you can explain what a, what a blanket mortgage sure. is. A blanket mortgage is, is they kind of use the word blanket because it's similar to how it applies. So they're taking one mortgage and blanketing it on two properties. The reason they do that is because if the loan to value is already stretched and there's not enough home for the mortgage they want, let's say they need an $800,000 mortgage, but their property is worth $700,000, then they could blanket that $800,000 mortgage across two properties where the value in total is larger. So they're able to lower the loan to value. I've had a lot of clients pre-construction clients coming up for closing. Thankfully, they own their own primary residence already. So they were able to get the mortgage they needed, but the lender had to register that mortgage on two separate properties. That's what a blanket mortgage is. Okay. Are you seeing a lot of that right now, especially because of pre-construction? Absolutely. Yeah. A, A lot of it. And that's only if you own at least two properties, but it's definitely um, a solution for a lot of clients if they need a mortgage that exceeds the value of the property that they're buying or refinancing. So yeah, definitely seen an increase in blanket mortgages for sure. So in Canada, is there a limit to the number of mortgages you can have on a property? No, I, I, it's funny you say that. I just got a client the other day. I saw three mortgages on this place, 2 million, oh, yeah? 500, like 200. Um, I don't want to say the name or anything, but there's no limit to how many mortgages you can have technically. 
but very rarely do you see anything more than two. I think that's the only client I've seen that has three mortgages. Um, but there's no limit there. And there's no limit in how many properties you can own or how many individual mortgages you can have either. The only thing is you have to qualify or get the loan approved. Um, but there's no limit on how many mortgages you can have. There is a limit though on the loan to value. So you're not gonna, generally speaking, you're not gonna see a property with mortgages that exceed the value of the home unless you got a mortgage then originally and then prices drop. So what is not a good reason to refinance? Okay, so a lot of people were refinancing in like 2020, 2021 because rates dropped and they wanted to get a low rate. So that is a good reason, but if your penalty is gonna be too high, it's not worth it. You're not gonna pay $20,000 in penalty to save $10,000 in interest, right? So that would not be a good reason to refinance if your penalty exceeds the potential savings because there are gonna be a lot of people who want to refinance in the next year when rates drop, but you have to analyze what your break penalty will be in comparison to the potential savings. And that's why when a lot of clients want to go for a fixed rate, we have to look at the potential penalties for different lenders if they were to refinance. I'm just going to steal something that me and Brendan were talking about. What's this 1% rule for rent? Is it renting or renting, right? Yeah, a lot of uh, people go by that. So the 1% rule is um, whatever the purchase price is of the property, you should be getting 1% of that per month in rental income. For example, if you're buying a $400,000 property, you want to be getting $4,000 a month in rental income in order to make your cash flow numbers work. Now, is that practical? Not really, especially in Canada, unless you go to like the secondary or tertiary markets in Thunder Bay up north, North Bay. Um, it's going to be hard to do. But in general, when you are buying a rental property, you want to ensure that the property takes care of itself financially, meaning the rental income covers the mortgage, the upkeep, the utilities, the property taxes. But um, sometimes it's hard to keep up to that 1% rule completely. But the, the better you can be, the closer you can be to that, the better. Okay, perfect. Um, this is going to be completely off topic. Okay. But all I see is sunlight coming in your background. <laughs> What's the weather like in Dominican? <laughs> it's good. And Celsius is yeah. like... 24, but it's super humid yeah. here. So it feels like 28. I start sweating as soon as I go outside, but the locals here are used to it. As long as you got like a we're wearing like, you're good. Yeah. We're wearing like sweaters and jackets and I'm pretty sure you're in a t-shirt right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got my parka. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I got it. So just before we wrap this up, um, what advice could you give to people for 2024 um, in terms of mortgages, interest rates, buying, selling, what is, what is Aubrey's piece of advice for the year? My piece of advice is always look at your numbers in advance. Don't wait to the last minute. Don't get analysis paralysis and get over-consumed with rates and where the numbers are and articles. If you can afford to buy a home and you want to buy a home, buy it. Because in the long run, you're going to thank yourself 10 times over when in 10, 20 years that property value has doubled or tripled. So um, don't be afraid. Go through the numbers with a trusted mortgage advisor or agent. Make sure you can afford it. And if you can, you should buy the home. So thank you for joining us today, Aubrey. And how can people connect with you? You can call me directly, uh, 647-473-1074.
or just Google my name, Aubrey Bornstein. All my details will pop up. Happy to help with anybody who needs help. Thanks, guys, for having me. It was great to connect with you guys again for the second time. And pleasure to be here. Yeah, and, thank you. And sorry, what's just your social media handle? Mortgages by Aubrey on Instagram and TikTok. Okay, perfect. Awesome. So okay. hopefully we could have you back for a third time. Yeah. We'll have you back in the middle of the year. Let's see what's going on with the interest rates. Absolutely. <laughs> Guys, what is absolutely. what is your prediction? Right now, the overnight lending rate is 5%. Let's say this time next year, December 2024, what do you think the overnight lending rate will be? Ooh, you think if I... Putting on the spot. 4.2. Okay. Brandon? I'd... Probably say about 4.25. 4.25, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say variable rates will drop by 1.5% by this time next year. That's a, that's pretty bold. And that's what I'm hoping for. So 3.5%. Yeah. The overnight lending rate. Oh, so you're thinking 3.5 on a variable? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, so basically, right now it's 5 on the overnight lending rate. That's not the rate they're going to get, but it's going to be an yeah, increase yeah, of one point five percent. That's my yeah, yeah. that's my prediction. I could be completely. That would be great. Yeah, if it goes that low, man, it's going to be another frenzy. But maybe I guess we got to have you here in December. Yes, and see where we're at then, and then um, our producer Chris here will bring up that clip. Yeah, and let's see who's right, who's wrong. Hopefully, yeah, I'm not way off. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you again, and um, yeah, thanks for joining us on Real Talk Real Estate. And until next time. Have a good one. And watch us on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and listen to us on Spotify. Spotify.